Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor, and today on the show, I have someone who is a former improviser with the Second City Touring Company, IO Chicago, and the Annoyance Theater. Uh, She's been able to perform improv, sketch, and stand-up all over the United States and uh, perform at multiple, multiple festivals. And finally, she can be seen in Whitney Cummings' HBO pilot entitled A Lot, as well as Whitney's directorial feature debut in The Female Brain. So please welcome to the show, Rachel LaForce. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm good. I look. I have to tell you, with your last name, that is that is a super cool last name. You know what? Thank you. I don't get tired of hearing that, so I will accept that compliment. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you ever have like nicknames with that last name? I mean, a lot of people just always called me LaForce, and then um, I'm actually from Atlanta, so in high school, for whatever reason. Uh, like all of the boys that I hung out with and I call them boys on purpose that were a year older than me. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, they also all, uh, started calling me Duh force. So oh. I was like, I think that was my AIM screen name. I was like DeForce nine, three, five. It's I haven't even thought about that in forever. So I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> that I got to share that with the world. It's very, I'll tell it's very intimidating. Like it, I feel like if you walked into a place and you, you like called yourself the force, like in a third person, like that's a very scary thing to be able to do. I mean, I ho- I think I'm like, I think I'm, you know, the goal is like to do well with the force, right? Like yeah. to, to honor the the good force. It's interesting though, because um, so often, I mean, and it's happened my whole life, but people are always like, is that your real last name? Like in casting rooms out here all the time, <laughs> uh-huh. somebody will go, is that your real last name? And I'm like, 100%. Wow. So, and yeah, it's, oh, go ahead. Oh no. What were we going to say? No, I was, I'm, I'm reading, um, a book right now by, um, Rebecca, Rebecca Campbell. So shout out Rebecca Campbell. Um, but she's like very like, spiritual and has all these books about like seeking your light and very new age kind of stuff. But one of the things that she wrote in it, um, was realizing that like, she just needed to find, um, grace for herself and then all of a sudden it was like this huge spiritual path that she had and then realizing that her middle name was actually grace and so i don't know upon reading that i was like well i don't have anything cool in my name and i was like wait a minute i was like my last name literally means the force i was like this is awesome but that is i mean are you a star wars fan you know what no and that's so sad, and I'm embarrassed for myself <laughs> because I should just take the time. Because it's not that I'm not, um, but a couple guys that I write comedy with out here are like huge into it, and they'll talk to me about it, and I'm just staring back at them, and they're like, "You, <laughs> Rachel, your last name is Laforce. Like you, you need to at least know what we're talking about." Like, no, but I don't have that much time. Well, I, yeah, like I said, I mean, you, you got to own that last name, which it sounds like you're doing. So I, I, it's good. That's good to hear. I'm happy. Yeah, this is – yeah, you know what, Max? I am too. I'm reclaiming the name. Um, I mean, <laughs> I literally read that passage in um, this book that I'm reading like yesterday. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, it's a pretty, uh, a pretty fun last name. 
but yeah, I mean, anywhere I go or where I have to give an ID or, you know, anything like that, people are always like, oh, the force, huh? Let the force be with you, <laughs> which is fine. And, and like, I genuinely enjoy it every time, but then it's the follow-up of, I bet you hear that all the time, huh? And mm-hmm. then, you know, we have to have that exchange where I'm like, <sighs> but there are worse things. That is true. There, there are worse things than having to fake laugh at that joke, uh, you know, once a week or once a month. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, to talk a little bit about you and your comedy career, um, when you were growing up, like you said, in Atlanta, when you were growing up here, um, what type of like late night uh, television or comedy or TV influenced you and your comedic sense and your comedic voice? Oh, gosh. I don't know why. I don't know why I always get so overwhelmed by that question when I've been asked it multiple times. But I'm always like, oh, I've got to give a great answer. Um, You know, it's interesting because before I really discovered like, oh, comedy is what I really want to do. I I was just in love with theater and like Broadway plays. Um, And my grandma used to have me watch uh, Doris Day movies. And um so that was you know like Doris Day and then uh Lucille Ball and like a lot of Carol Burnett um and then I got a lot of influence just off of what like my what my dad found funny like my dad's a really big um Dana Carvey fan Steve Martin um Chris Farley so I kind of got a lot of comedic influences that way um Cause it really wasn't until I think I was, I was in community theater in Atlanta and I was always cast as like, you know, the 40 year old aunt and like, you know, like I never actually played my age. I'm mm-hmm. still struggling with that, but um, I'd like never played my age. And finally after like the third or fourth time that I was cast as the comedic relief, I was like, Oh, maybe there, maybe I'm funny. Like maybe there's something to do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of, um, Annie was a huge, like, I remember my mom took me to the Fox theater to audition for Annie and they told me I was too tall and I cried the whole, like the whole way out <laughs> of the Fox theater, the whole way home. Like, I was just like, why won't they let me try? Like, they don't know. Um, and it was devastating, but mm-hmm. obviously I've made it, I've made it through. Right. So so you were exposed to what it sounds like you were exposed to not just comedy, but entertainment at a very young age because of your parents. Well, I think um, I would say if my parents uh, were talking to you, they would go, oh, no, we have nothing to do with it. She just showed up out of the womb and was like, I want to sing. I want to dance. I want to act. Please help me (laughs) make it happen. Um, But yeah, they were super supportive. I mean, I started dancing when I was um, three and then started singing and started, you know, wanting to act. And my parents are both, my mom's very academic. My dad was very athletic. I'm an only child. They were like, we don't know what to do with you. (laughs) Um, so we kind of made it up, you know, as we, as we went along and I would say more of my influences, my influences have changed a lot over the years. Cause I think, you know, my taste has changed and kind of what I'm interested in doing has changed a lot. Um, but certainly the start of it was, you know, comedic relief in, in Broadway shows. I mean, even something is like, um, I, actually, I guess I wouldn't call Nathan Lane 
an esoteric um, reference. But yeah, I mean, even like uh, Nathan Lane and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Like I remember watching that and being like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very wide array of, of stuff that I was exposed to. So do you remember the moment where you realized that you were funny and that comedy was your interest? 100%. I don't think... So I was in a... There used to be a children's theater called um, the Little General Playhouse, and it was right off the Marietta Square. And uh, so I started doing theater shows there um, probably in, like, fourth grade. And, um, of course, I, I was... It was Alice in Wonderland, and of course I wanted to be Alice, but it was like, well, you're not blonde, so like you're not going to be that role. Um, so I was, I played the White Rabbit, and um, they had added songs to this version of Alice in Wonderland, you know, because I don't, I guess they thought that was appropriate. So <laughs> I sang "Put on a Happy Face" to um, Alice on stage, and then I was supposed to walk her down through the center aisle. And for whatever reason, we weren't supposed to say anything. That was just our exit. And for whatever reason, I, I looked over at her. We were about halfway down the, the walkway. And I go, you know what, Alice? Blue is a really nice color on you. <laughs> and the audience lost it laughing. And I remember being like, I, I didn't know what that thing was yet. I didn't even realize that I was like improvising. I, did, I, I wasn't aware of it. But I, that was one of the first times I remember being like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> Right, right. And it's cool. It's cool, too, that at that young of an age, you could separate comedy from acting. Like, you realize that there were two things involved happening at the same time. Totally. I mean, I, I'm i a big, I mean, I've, um, I've been lucky enough to teach a fair amount of improv and sketch, um, you know, all over with uh, the Second City. And um, I coach and direct occasionally out here in L.A. as well. And... I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of like, you can learn comedy in the same way that, you know, I could learn how to play the piano. But if you hear somebody play the piano, that that instrument is a part of them, play the same song and hear me play it, I might hit all the notes, but it's just different. And I think people that just instinctually have timing and people that I know it sounds like very self-masturbatory. I'm not saying I'm God's gift to comedy, but I'm saying that I, I do believe that there is something innate that um, performers really have. And I, I didn't, I think I did have it a lot earlier on, but I, that was one of the first times that it became aware to me of like, oh, maybe I could be really potentially really good at this. Um, but I certainly didn't know on a, like a molecular level at that time, like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm patting my head and rubbing my belly by improvising and also acting at the same time. So when you got this big laugh, did it make you and did it inspire you in other areas to try to continue getting laughs? Not that I, not that I remember. I mean, I've always been a huge ham. I was an only child. Um, I was like seemingly very overdramatic, um, I remember there was like a, um, a Thanksgiving, uh, you know, recital or something at my elementary school. And, um, I'll still remember I was with, I was standing next to, cause of course I always had to stand in the back, right. On the risers. Cause I was tall. So I was always in the back with all the boys. And, um, there was this kid 
his name was Marcus Pitts. Shout out to Marcus. I think we're <laughs> friends on Facebook. And he, at the end of the performance, went around to the front of uh, the stage and was like bowing and blowing kisses. Well, I just thought it was funny. And so I followed and I did the same thing. And I remember on the way home, my mom was mortified. <laughs> and I got like, Reeve, she's like, that's so inappropriate. Like, you don't do that. Um, so maybe I was doing that to be funny, but um, yeah, I, I certainly realized, I, I don't think so much I realized what to do with making people laugh yet as much as I realized that being on stage was my favorite place in the world. So when you were like in your uh, teenager and young adult years, was your goal to be just an actress? Like that's what you wanted to do? Or were you looking at becoming a comedian? Well, I don't think for me, they've ever really been mutually exclusive. Mm. Um, I think I always thought my dream in high school was to um, do Broadway. That was what I did musicals all through high school. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I wanted to go to Tisch in New York at NYU. And I thought that's what I was going to do. And then um, my uh, my mom and my stepfather at the time um, took me on a trip to Chicago. And I went to the Second City. And I... And I have a very similar story to most everyone whose dream was Second City and was able to work for them, where I sat there and I watched this two-hour show and I was like, what is, what is that? What are <laughs> yeah. they doing? I have, to do, I have to do that. What is that? You know, I, I'd never seen anything like it before where it was so funny, but it was so grounded. It was a reflection of our world and what was really happening and so much of it I didn't fully understand um, because I was still 16 and, you know, I wasn't involved in Chicago politics and things like that. I remember I watched that same show um, on like a DVD a couple of years later when I worked for Second City and I watched that same show. It was the first show I had seen. And I was like, oh, this is, I don't remember this show being this way at all, you know, because <laughs> the way that I had remembered it was so romanticized. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I thought I was going to go to Broadway. That was the dream. And then I went to Second City and I was like, oh, this is this is a place that I can do both. And I'm surrounded by extremely intelligent, funny, you know, well-read people. This is where I want to be. So I ended up changing direction uh, and applying to a bunch of colleges in um, Chicago. And I ended up there. So how long did it take you uh, to become a member of Second City? And what was that process like? So their process is pretty standard. I mean, um, let's see. So I, I started college in 04. And there was um, a, uh, like our improv team there that I was a part of called Drop in Science. And um, so I did that all through college. And then Second City, probably, I guess it was my senior year of college. So it was 2007-2008. Second City had started their study abroad program uh, called the Comedy Studies Program. And so I was the second class to go through. And it's, I mean, now they have a whole major in theater. I mean, you could go to Second City. It's accredited. And you can do an entire major. Um, but at the time, they just had this semester and you went and you spent 16 hours a week at Second City and 
you learned the history of theater and then we had a stand-up class and um, a current events class and a writing class and um, so I I did that that was my fall semester of my senior year and then um, I started uh, taking classes there so I auditioned for their conservatory and a lot of people have to audition multiple times um, and I think I was just lucky because I had just gone through the um, comedy studies program so I auditioned I got in I did conservatory um, and then and conservatory is about a year I think a year a year and a half um, and then you once you're out of conservatory you're welcome to audition they just do general auditions once a year so I mean talk about pressure when that was like my ultimate goal like you have one shot mm -hmm. in a 20-minute audition like I would not wish that anxiety on anyone. Like it's the, you know, it's terrifying. Um, so yeah, I auditioned one year when I was eligible and um, I don't remember. I probably did terrible. And then um, I auditioned again the following year. So this would have been 20, 2012 or 2013 about. And I got called back and I, after that, I was like, okay, they like you. So just go back and do the same thing. And I think I was also getting to that point of like, they had seen me, they had come to a bunch of my shows. I mean, I was, I was probably doing improv and sketch six nights a week at that point. Um, so I was like, they're either buying what, what I'm selling or they're not, you know, mm -hmm. which I, I, I ultimately think is, is always the best way to go into something of like, do you, you know, that's when you're the most honest and that's when, when you're having the most fun, everybody else around you is having fun. It's the most trite sounding thing in the world, but 100% true. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went back and I had a great time. And I, I remember I was so intimidated by who was in my group because it was the best of the best people that were around in the building at the time who were now all, uh, working actors. So of course they were the best of the best at the time. And, um, then, uh, yeah. And then they hired me. I was on what's called the short list. Um, so, I mean, they saw over, I don't know, 2000 plus people that year. And then they called back 44, 11 of them were women. And then they hired four of us that were women. Um, wow. so at that point I was like, I won the lottery. Anything else that happens yeah. now is just, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, <laughs> and so I understudied for six months. And um, then I got the phone call, uh, which I, of course, thought that they were going to fire me. And uh, <laughs> they said, we want to hire you full time to a touring company. Do you need 24 hours to think about it? And I said, nope. <laughs> um, and they said, great, you start this week. And um, yeah. Wow. So how how did you celebrate uh, when you got hired? What did you do? How do you celebrate that? You know, um, I it was interesting because I had just gone through a big um, one of my first real kind of like adult breakups. Mm -hmm. And it was with um, a very, a very lovely human. He's still a very lovely human. And um, but we we were in an improv group together. And we had done sketch together and, you know, we had gone to all these different festivals and stuff together. It was really hard for me because I kind of grew up and kind of found my artistic voice 
with that group of people and specifically with him. And so I think for me, it was kind of, um, it was wonderful because it was like we had just gone through this breakup and I'm like, I don't want to have to sit around and go to all these Chicago theaters and like see him all the time. And so it was wonderful for me. It was like, you know, the universe's way of being like, great. Well, here's this thing. Now you get to go and tour and have your dream job. So um, I remember I was in a cab because it was before Uber and um, I called my mom and I could barely speak. Like I was like, they they hired me. They they hired me. Like it, it was, um, it was the biggest dream that I'd ever had, you know, up, up until then that, that was my dream. Um, and I got it. So I think it was mostly celebrated. Um, but I don't say this to sound, um, ridiculous, but I think it was just celebrated with like gratitude. Like I was just so grateful because I've seen some of, you know, the funniest people go through that building and for whatever reason, they just don't get picked because ultimately a lot of stuff like that just comes down to, you know, dealer's choice sometimes in casting and, and, um, certainly hard luck and or hard luck, good luck and hard work and talent. Um, but I got lucky. And, um, so I was just, I was over the moon and there wasn't a, a ton of time for celebrating. Cause I literally started like the next day. So right. it was just like, Oh, now I have to just prove, now I just have to show up and do the job. Right. Is there, so. would you say, is there a, a constant pressure, um, to succeed? Like how, uh, people end up on SNL from Second City or become huge movie stars. Is that an underlying pressure for all people who work there? Um, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I'm going to say, yeah, because if you, you know, I, I think that you can choose to look at that pressure as a negative or as a positive and you can let it fuel you or you can let it destroy you. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly seen it do both. Um, and you know, but I, I don't think it's so much pressure as it is, at least for me personally, I had never even made goals beyond Second City. So I I was really, once I, you know, I had been touring for two years and I was kind of running out of steam. I was like, oh, crap. Well, I guess I got to make bigger goals now. You know, like I hadn't really, I I just had made that such the focus, which I think is a really beautiful thing because it wasn't, I allowed myself to really enjoy every single step of the way rather than being like, it's SNL or die. You know, like I I really was able to just live in the moment and enjoy every step of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, I just have always instinctually felt when I'm really doing the work that I'm proud of, I've always gotten to the next place whatever that next place is for me. Um, So whenever I start to get, you know, anxious or overwhelmed, you know, I just go back to, for me, it's like personal evidence of every time you've worked hard and you've done the work, you, you get to that next thing. So just keep doing the work you love and you'll get to the next thing. And it's also like insanely exciting to look around and like, um, Chris Red, who's currently on SNL right now is like, uh, I toured with him. We spent some good time together and, um, there's a lot of, um, other people that are, are working on different shows, but I just kind of feel like, um, an ass if I'm like, here's a name, here's a name, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hey Max, pick up this name I'm dropping. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, 
really, I don't mean it that way at all. I really do mean it sincerely of like, these are people that you've watched um, hustle and you've watched, you know, um, them curate their own voice or their group voice. Uh, there's a group of ladies that their sketch team was the Katie Dids and, uh, or I guess it still is. And they um, have their show Teachers, which is in season three on TV land. Mm-hmm. And um, Kate Lambert is one of the Katie Dids. I also toured with her as well. And, um, you know, just so many people that I have like toured with and been able to work with. And um, another uh, buddy of mine that I did sketch with forever and uh, he's a writer here in LA. And so it's just been really cool to see your friends like succeed, you know? It, it, um, it's funny you, that you say this though. It's very interesting because a couple weeks ago I interviewed Ryan Archibald. Do you know him? I do know Ryan. He directed me for a little bit. That You know, that's crazy because I asked him, this was before this interview, obviously, but I had already interviewed Casey, Casey Whitaker. And um, he just was like, I directed Casey. And so <laughs> that's funny. You guys all know each other. But um, I was talking with him about a very similar thing of what it's like to watch other people around you go and especially go to SNL. And for him, he said it was almost a sense he was proud. Like it was a proudness where he would teach a class and he would see somebody and he'd be like, oh, this guy or this girl, they're they're going to make it. They're going to go all the way to the top. And when they do, it's not a sense of jealousy. It's like, I'm so proud of them. That's so cool that that happened. I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, the two people that um, I remember, uh, so AD Bryant was on uh, my Drop in Science uh, improv team in college. And I remember the first show we ever did, and it was in this um, – like run down coffee shop in Edgewater in Chicago. And I think, you know, we did a show to all of like four people in a barista and she did, um, she played um, a character like this and she was a chimney sweep. <laughs> and we were in a scene together. I remember I couldn't stop laughing <laughs> because she was making me laugh. And I remember instantly being like, and that must've been right when we first joined the team. So I wasn't even familiar with her yet either as a, as a teammate or even as a person. And I remember leaving that show being like, Oh, that, that girl's going to be famous. Like, <laughs> let's be serious. Um, so that was no surprise. And the other person I had that with, um, was, uh, my buddy, John Reynolds, who oh, John's doing a bunch of stuff right now, but he was on, uh, the TBS show search party. Oh yeah. And then, uh, he's got a, um, a guest star role or recurring role on stranger things. And, um, so all of a sudden, you know, when he started popping up, it was the same thing of like, oh, dang, you know, like I remember doing a show with him and I was like, oh, this kid is like too. There's just certain people that are just you want. We want to watch them. We want to know what they're going to say next. And mm-hmm. that's not something that you can teach, you know. Right. So that's cool. Now, do you still stay in contact with these people? And when they do like cool things or you see them in something that impresses you, do you reach out to them and just to stay in touch and compliment them? Um, some people more than others. Uh, I mean, I haven't been friend like, you know, super close friends with uh, with John in quite a while. We were, we ran very much in the same circle because my generation that came up in the Chicago comedy uh, world half went to New York and then half came out to LA. Um, 
So all my buddies that are in New York, it was kind of like, and I actually started touring about a year and a half before a lot of the people of my generation started touring and or getting agents and managers and moving away. So I've been kind of separated from a lot of people a lot longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly like uh, it was uh, the other day I looked down at my phone and uh, Chris had texted me and he was just like, dude, I saw you in your movie. Like, I loved it. And he was like, so good to see you like doing the characters that I remember doing on stage with you forever. Um, which was the same thing I saw him do a sketch on SNL of a character that I've seen him do before. And it was the same thing of like, you know, sending him a message of like, I'm so glad that now something I've seen or something that was, you know, a bit from being laid over in an airport or something, you know, and seeing somebody come up with something and then suddenly it's on national television. Like, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. And um, so certainly I think that there's a lot of, you know, and maybe it's specifically a Chicago thing too. Like, I feel like Chicago is like a really supportive community, at least in my experience. And any time that, you know, I've had successes big or small, I feel like I've had, you know, people that I've worked with, you know, reach out and be like, hey, congrats or saw your thing. And I feel like I always try to do the same, whether they care or not that I'm, you know, telling them good job. For me, it's mostly just excitement of like, that's my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's super cool. That's what I like to hear. Um, I, I don't like to hear when when there's someone who, a comedian or otherwise, it can be in any position where they have a friend or an acquaintance or a classmate or whatever that gets promoted any type of way and they're all like in their feelings about it. Like that's not cool. You got to support each other because when you support others, people are going to support you and that's how it works, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think so, 100%. And I also know that that's, you know, it's easier said than done. But Mm -hmm. I'm also a huge believer in like, the people that I've seen succeed, I mean, A, are undeniably talented, but also never stopped working. And I find that a lot of people that kind of have corrosive mentalities are also not the people that aren't necessarily putting in all of the work. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, well, it's not happening for me. And it's like, well, maybe instead of sitting around feeling sorry for yourself, yeah. you could be out, you know. Like, you still have to do the work. It doesn't matter. Some people get more lucky than others sooner than others. And, you know, and and some people don't end up getting lucky at all. And that's just the way it goes. But, like, if you're not doing the work, nobody's going to come and knock on your door and go, hey, I'm sorry. Do you want to be famous? Yeah, you seem great. Come on. Go ahead and come this way. We got a van waiting for you outside. Like, it doesn't happen like that. You know what I mean? So, Uh sorry. I also, I enjoyed in that example that this famous representative drives a van, not a limo. They take you. They take you around in a van. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Max. They don't do limos. Super, super famous people only vans exclusively. Only, only vans. Yeah. With tinted windows. Yeah, and they actually windows. only wear vans too. Oh, so, yeah. So that so it's a van filled with vans. One hundred percent. Yeah. Very, yeah. This is so very... now. I mean, now you're ready to move to Hollywood. So you already, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know all the secrets. I packed my bags. Uh, this is all I needed. So speaking of Hollywood, how did you end up in L.A.? Because I know you were talking about the most of the comedians were deciding between New York and L.A. So how did you make that decision? Um, That is a great question. Uh, So it's interesting. I so like I said, I had never really thought beyond Chicago. Um, 
and I, um, I had been dating somebody that I had been performing with, uh, and he had actually moved out to LA about two years prior. Um, and we started dating long distance, uh, and he was writing on a show. And I think in a lot of ways, it was just the first time that I was like, Oh, I guess you could actually like, you could, you can leave Chicago, you know, like everybody that I had ever seen that got to the next thing, they had been hired directly out of a second, like second city. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had, I didn't really know how to make the next part happen. Um, and, um, yeah. And so my boyfriend at the time, you know, was writing on a show out in LA and I just started going to visit. And, um, then I was like, all right, I think I've got about six more months in me to tour. And then one night uh, after a show, we were across the street, you know, the bar where you go to after a show. And these two guys in suits, very handsome, you know, about my age are talking to me. And they're like, oh, we saw the show. Great work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. You know, I have no clue who these people are. <laughs> I'm just, I just thought they were there to see the show. And um, then they hand me their card and they said, um, you know, we're with such and such agency. And um, if you're available this week, we, we would love to sit down and meet with you. And suddenly I was like, oh, oh, damn. I had, but it was so great that I had no idea who I was talking to because I was so authentically myself, which is how you absolutely should be when considering agents or managers. Um, but I think because I wasn't introduced at all to that world yet, I would have been, you know, I just wouldn't have known what to do. So I think it worked out in my favor. And I said, oh my gosh, I would love to. I said, if, just excuse me for one minute. I've got to run to the restroom. I'll be right back. So I go to the restroom and I Googled them and they were like yeah. completely, completely legit. And, um, and then I walked back out and uh, hopefully they're not going to listen to this. My agent's going to call me and be like, really? That's how it went down? Um, and, uh, but yeah, and then I went out and, and I said, oh yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to meet you guys. And so then, yeah, they, they were out scouting because at the time, the Just for Laughs Festival, um, they had extended it from Montreal also into Chicago. So, you know, all these agents were out scouting people and, um, and I had no idea. So, you know, they got to watch me for two hours unbeknownst to me. So that was the perfect way for them to be able to kind of judge, I guess, what kind of talent I am. And, um, so yeah, then I, you know, I knew then I, you know, I'd signed with them and I now had representation for both writing and performing and so I was like or what is called a, a lit agent in a theatrical agent um and uh yeah and then I had a boyfriend out here and I was like all right uh, I'm gonna do it and then I moved out and six months after I moved out after dating my boyfriend for two and a half years uh we didn't work out but <laughs> I am still with my agents so <laughs> well you made you it made one out. one good relationship moving out there so right yeah <laughs> no and I think I, I really do I do owe owe a lot to that relationship because again it, it really showed me like oh this is a completely doable thing I just had been so isolated and so protected you know, that I, I didn't know it is, it's seemingly very intimidating of like, how, how does it work in LA or how does, you know, even like getting a manager work and how, like, you know, sometimes I think people like to keep it mystified because it seems like it's a big secret, but you know, mm -hmm. it's really not. So when you arrived in LA, 
did you feel like you were the new kid on the block again? Like you had to start over or did you already have the connections there that you just kind of like fit back in? It was a little bit of both. I, I think, you know, there were a lot of people that I knew from second city that, you know, were top dogs and came out here. And then if they were either back at second city and did a show with us or, or whatever, um, and actually, now that I think about it, the people I'm specifically thinking of are also all working in television now. So they're doing just fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I remember that they came back and they were like, yeah, we had to take a level one class at UCB. And I'm like, what? But you were like, you had like the job, like what, you know, and not, and not that, and why I say that is not that you, that there's not always more to learn in your craft, but there is a sense of like, once you've been teaching those classes, you know, like you shouldn't have to start back at the bottom, but you know, that's, that is the game that we, we play. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. Um, however, in fairness, I do think, um, at UCB, you can skip level one and you go to level two. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was fully prepared for that. I mean, I was extremely ahead of, ahead of the curve, um, by already having pretty significant agents. Um, and I don't think I really knew how much of an advantage I was because of that until I started doing, you know, open mics or kind of one-off shows and seeing very talented people who had been out here for however long, but just didn't have the platform to get access to, um, you know, to management and to agents. Um, so I was very grateful for that. But I mean, certainly, I mean, I'm still, you know, out here like hustling and sending Facebook, you know, messages and following different comedy shows on Instagram and going and meeting people. And um, so that, you know, the, the comedy community out here is so much larger um, than Chicago. And again, I'm very grateful that I've got, you know, most of the people I still do comedy with, I know from Chicago. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more shows that I go out and do specifically um, with stand-up, I, you know, yeah, I've got to just go out and, and meet people and kind of really build that arsenal again of people, you know, they'll just call you and be like, hey, I've got somebody dropped out, come and do my show or, you know, it never, it never stops. Mm -hmm. So what's the biggest difference that you've noticed between Chicago improv and L.A. improv? Chicago improv is way better. <laughs> why why is that? Um I think I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of like really subpar improv happening in Chicago too that'll make your eyes bleed, but I think um I think the people that choose to go to Chicago to learn it really love it. Like I mean, again, to be doing improv for free in a bar at, you know, 12 at night on a Wednesday, you have to love it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to have to love it. And people come from all over the world to Chicago to study it and to get really good at it. And I think out here, um, it's kind of the residual of who either ended up here from Chicago or comedians that have transitioned from New York that are out here. Um, and yeah, there's something, cause you get a lot of, um, 
you know, very good looking people, which, you know, we need them because otherwise the CW would not exist. So, you know, we need people to play vampires and, but, you know, they're not improvisers and they show up uh, to do improv and you're like, oh, your agent just told you to come and take this class, didn't they? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really about the love and, and, and the people are consistently doing it. I mean, that was the other thing that I would always tell my classes, even now it's like, you really want to get good at something, go and watch the people do it that you think are really good or the people, their, their style of play that you want to see, go and go and watch them. You know, it's the same way of like a football team will sit around and, and watch plays of another team. I mean, you also, you have to do it. You have to go out and do it over and over and over again and get it in your bones. Um, but I also think the ability to go and watch people is super important. Now, you've been doing comedy for many, many years, as we've been talking about. Do you still find yourself going out and just watching instead of participating, just watching the people you love? 100%. Um, I Not as often as I would like um, because I'm – I'm 31 now. So like I'm turns out I'm way more tired than I was when I was 22. <laughs> um, but, uh, cause I've been transitioning and doing more and more stand up, mm. And, um, so there's, yeah, there's certain people or certain styles, um, that I really like. And because, I mean, I certainly feel like I'm at, a, at an advantage. I mean, improv is, is a totally different beast from stand up. Um, but again, with like timing or, you know, creating a running order of jokes and, you know, knowing how to put them together so that you introduce yourself to the audience up top. I mean, not literally like, hi, I'm Rachel LaForce, but you're teaching an audience how to watch you right from the very beginning. We have to know that we can trust you, that we can laugh at you and that you're not scared. Right. So you're going to do that right off the top. Then you can kind of, you know, get them comfortable and then you might want to try some new stuff in the middle because you can get away with it. And then you want to end with your strongest stuff. Right. So kind of all of those things I was lucky to already know and learn along the way. Um, but now it's just really kind of watching for, you know, for for tricks and, and also just watching to continue to like be inspired because that's actually my favorite thing um, about being out here in LA is like, you know, you get to go and see people do stand up that are trying stuff out for the first time that you've only seen them do the most well-polished Netflix special. Right. But then you get to go and watch them try jokes for the first time. And you're like, Oh my God, everybody poops. Like, <laughs> you know, just seeing somebody, who you've seen do something forever and then they tell a joke, it doesn't work. And they're like, okay, cool. We're not going to do that one again. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's another one. And so it really humanizes it for you. And it's like, it kind of, it kind of, you know, it feels like being able to see behind the curtain a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. And I mean, honestly, for me, that just goes back to what you said before about loving it. And if, if those comedians really didn't love it, they wouldn't be at those clubs at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. willing to bomb in front of crowds of maybe four or five people just to make sure their their jokes are all good. You know what I mean? That's dedication. I, I mean, I agree, and I, but I also am a very firm believer of, and I have a long way to go in this business, but I, I genuinely believe that, like, you have to stay vigilant, and you, and you do. You have to love it, 
And I mean, I've seen plenty of people burn out and I, and I think that that's okay. I've also seen a lot of people go, you know, I really love it, but I don't love it enough to sacrifice all the things I have to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I've had that conversation with other friends too, that have either moved back to what their original hometown was, or have just decided, you know, that they're okay to do it at a certain level or, you know, or not that they're okay. They're happy to, that's where they feel most comfortable. Um, and when I've had those conversations, I'm like, oh my God, God bless. There would be, I would love to wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what? I'd actually like to be a dental hygienist. Like <laughs> anything that suddenly I know, I know things are going to be smooth sailing. I I would love to feel that way. I just, it's, it's not in the cards for me. I unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, have the curse. <laughs> the curse of loving it too much. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Now, yeah. was, was it difficult for you when you started to get more involved in stand-up? Was it a weird transition to go from a medium where everything's made up in improv to a medium where you got to write things out? Oh, uh, a 100. <laughs> because, I, you know, with – and actually, here's the, the most interesting thing is why I love improv, too, is um, – and sketch specifically and, like, sketch characters – is I can fuel my own opinion through a character, mm -hmm. but there's no risk of vulnerability because it's not Rachel saying it. Mm. And so standing on stage, and at least for me, like the type of standup that, that I do, it's very much like storytelling and talking about my life. Because to me, I don't write jokes. I tell the truth. And to me, truth makes jokes. Mm -hmm. And, um, because if it's, I always say that like the best thing about hearing a really big laugh from an audience is not, Oh my God, like they love me. Um, but it is the sincerity of like, Oh my God, you too, like right. you too, you get it. Mm -hmm. And there's something that that's what strokes my ego is like, Oh, thank God I'm not alone. You know, like you, you know what I'm talking about. There's like a sense of camaraderie that happens when somebody laughs because it's a it's a laugh of recognition mm -hmm. um but it's certainly been you know i mean again i have a long way to go but I, I was very grateful you know you go to a lot of open mics and and people have good jokes but they just don't know who they are on stage yet mm -hmm. and that's a lot tougher i think of a thing to learn and so I was grateful of like, oh, well, I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I, I can I can figure out how to make jokes better and better. I can figure out word economy to shorten it down to get it literally set up punchline or how to make this seven minute story into two and a half minutes. And, you know, those things I can figure out over time. But I'm so grateful that I had spent so much time on stage that I know who I am on stage. I know how an audience views me. Um, I know how to cover if all of a sudden I'm talking and I forget what I'm talking about. Uh, I know, just know how to exist up there. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very grateful for that. Tell me how you responded when you bombed for the first time. How did you mentally deal with that? It's really weird because it's not like with improv, where A, you have other people standing up on stage with you, right? And also with improv, normally you bomb because your show sucked, right? <laughs> you and your teammates weren't listening to each other. 
So all of a sudden you're in a subway, but then you're not in a subway. You're actually in a, you know, in a time machine. And it's like, oh, this is just terrible and disconnected because no one's listening to each other. With stand-up, you can do the exact same set one night and it crushes. And then the next night you do the exact same set and people stare at you. And it's so bizarre. <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing in the world. Um, and I think the other thing, here's another fun name drop. When I, um, when I did uh, uh, the guest spot on um, Whitney Cummings' pilot, and we were doing hair and makeup, and I just started getting into stand-up, and she was asking me about it, and and I was kind of talking about the fear of it, and she basically was like, oh, no, you have to let go of all of that. And like, just so, she's very matter-of-fact. She was like, if you want to be good at this, you have to literally have no fear. I'm not saying it's not going to exist, but you just have to go and do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So for me, the quickest way to get over bombing is just to get back up again, because it's a batting average, you know? Mm-hmm. And and also I find it's like not apologizing if they're not buying it. Like that, there's nothing more painful than watching a stand-up that's not doing well. And he's like, what, do you, what is everybody tired here? Or like what you guys, you're not, you're, what, you're not into this? What are you guys all, you know, Republican? It's like, don't harass your audience, okay? If they already don't like you, being rude to them is not going to get them to come around. <laughs> like, right. Just do your set and get off stage and then go and do another one. Like, mm-hmm. let it go. That's true. That's true. And that applies not, I mean, I mean that applies everywhere with anything. I mean, if you are a boxer and you get punched in the face, you're not just going to cry and be like, well, that's it. This is the end of my boxing career. No, you're going to stand back up and then you do it again. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I've always said this. I feel like comedy, especially I've had a lot of stuff going on in, in my personal life in the last couple of months. And I think that it's a reminder to me of like, you always have to tell the truth. And when you're telling the truth and when you keep going back up to the plate, you will get ahead, but you're going to have to take some beatings and that's okay. Everybody does. And like, but the only time for me, I've found that like my material is really bombed is when I'm not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I'm like, okay with, you know, bearing my soul, but in a comedic way, right? Like there's, there's very much difference between getting on stage and telling your sob story when people are like, Oh, I use my comedy as therapy. That's a little bit of a slippery slope. Like you, you have to be far enough removed from your pain or the situation in order for us to laugh and engage unless you're Tig Notaro, right? Because <laughs> she just absolutely <laughs> destroyed it and crushed it with her, with her special. Um, or it wasn't a special, it was just a set, but, um, at any rate, yes, I find when I'm telling the truth is when I'm doing my best work. And I think even in my personal life of like, the more you just tell the truth and just be you. And some people are going to be into it and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. But at least that way, there's no confusion. You know what I mean? It's like if I'm reading for something for, um, you know, a, a, an audition or something and I'm like, oh, well, what they're looking for is actually not at all my type. I'm like, okay, well, I know tonally this is what they're looking for. So I'll read and I'll play into that tone, but I'm going to present it in the way that I would. Right. Well, they might not always book me, but then at least if they do, 
I didn't sell them something I can't deliver on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I could talk about it forever. So, <laughs> like, so do you feel like you have found your comedic voice? I think I'm starting to. Um, I, I think it's I think it's ever evolving. Um, you know, in the same way of like. Ooh, I do think that I know my voice. I feel like my comedy is pretty consistent. You know, I think it always has been. It's very big. It's very brassy. Um, it's it's very specific. Um, it's uh, it's masculine, um, but still very sexy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think I'm. I'm learning to not be scared of that. Like I, I genuinely, I didn't do stand up. I think for a very long time because it was always that, well, what if my dad hears me? <laughs> and, and it was where I was like, I was so scared of offending anyone mm-hmm. where I'm like, but what you're saying isn't even offensive. You're just telling the truth about what's going on with you. And if that offends somebody, well then that's on them. You know, like you're not Andrew Dice Clay. Like it's, you know, like <laughs> true. You're just you're just gonna tell the truth, but I think it really took me until my 30s, where you know I started doing stand up when I was 29, and I was like, "All right, I'm not afraid anymore. Here's what I have to say." Mm-hmm. Hello, world! Here comes the force. Yeah, right, Max. You get it. You, that could be the title of your memoir. <gasps> oh, dude, I got to give you that cred now. I should go ahead and cut you a check. <laughs> Honestly, you could put that on merchandise, t-shirt that up. You could have it on socks. Everyone, oh, my gosh. Everyone needs a good pair of socks. I mean, can you imagine the merch? It, I, I, should get, I should get some merch going up on my Instagram. Honestly, with its, <laughs> all it says is the force. It's perfect. It's perfect. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So so now now that you have been, you know, well acquainted with stand up and sketch and improv out of all the three and acting too. So I guess out of all the four, uh, the four mediums that you have done and done so well, which is your favorite? Hmm. Probably stage work. Um like uh, theater, regular live theater is definitely will always be my absolute, my absolute favorite, you know, like, you know, doing, doing Broadway is still, is still a dream. Um, so, you know, it still could, it still could happen. We'll see. But there's something so, cause I mean, it was like the first time that I did television work and it was so strange where, you know, I had done the scene over and over and you do a table reading and people laugh. I did it in an audition and people laughed. And then all of a sudden they call action and we did the scene and no one laughed. And I was like, or I almost ruined the first take because I was like, oh yeah, this is for TV. It's going to be a quiet set. And it's so strange yeah. and stagnant where it really does become the work. I mean, don't get me wrong. Anybody who's listening, like, well, we were going to put it in our show, but now we're not going to, um, I will take the television work, but (laughs) certainly what, what in the moment is the most gratifying and the most exciting and what lights me up is by far and away theater. 
Oh, okay. Wow. I honestly, I did not expect that to be the answer. I thought you were gonna say really. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say improv, and that we were gonna conclude with you being like, "Improv Chicago's always my home," and like that's the direction we were gonna take. But I very much respect your answer, and it 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 was very interesting to me to hear you answer that. I really liked well, it. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're not um, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, some of the best. Uh, some of my best memories was, you know, being on tour and, you know, after our shows, we would do an improv set and it's, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, any, any live, and that was also my favorite thing about second city and why I feel like they've been so successful is that it's comedy, but it's comedic theater. First things first, we, we are theater. You are coming into a professional space where we are making, you know, real, again, for lack of a better word, theater mm-hmm. um, of what's really going on around us. So in any capacity that I get to continue to do that, you know, that's that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And now, Rachel, as we start to wrap up the interview, I do have one last question for you. Just one sure. more. One more, I ask every single guest this exact same question. So uh, I'm very excited to hear what you're going to say because you've given a lot of good what could have been answers throughout the interview, but I'm just excited to see what you're going to say. So my question for you, the final one of the interview is, if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who eventually wants to be in your shoes, what piece of advice would you give? Oh, God. It's another another question I should have a stock answer for. <laughs> um, trust your instincts. Because I think, you know, all of those of like, follow the fear, do it anyway. Uh, you know, all of those things. And I think all those things are true. But again, when you follow your instincts of what you really find funny, so whether those are very specific jokes for stand-up or whether that's um, you're in an improv scene and you do that thing that I see people do all the time when I'm coaching where it's like the fake edit where they go to edit and then they pull themselves back and afterwards they'll stop and I'll go, well, what happened? They're like, well, I was going to edit it, but then I didn't. And I'm like, well, why not? And they're like, I don't know. And I was like, was it done? And they're like, yeah. And they go, it absolutely was done. You know? So it's like, you, everything you need, you already have. We just convince ourselves, myself included, because this is advice I'm giving to myself right now too, is it's like everything you need, you already have. Trust your instincts. They're right. And even if they're only right for you and it feels like you're going out on a limb or it feels like anti-comedy or everybody else is doing something, it's like, well, you know, that's why we also have like Andy Kaufman's in the world. You know, everybody wasn't doing what he was doing and, you know, everybody knows his name. So I think you certainly just have to trust your instincts and know that you're going to end up exactly where you're supposed to. That's perfect. That is awesome. That is the perfect answer. You're absolutely correct. You, you, answered. <gasps> I was right. You, Max, you I gave right. the right answer. You were correct. I can now publish this interview. So congratulations. Oh my gosh. It, oh my gosh. Thank you. I can't tell oh. you how many guests have answered incorrectly and their interviews just go into my archives, never to be published. So oh. I, congr- congratulations. 
You oh, did good. thank you. You thank did you. real oh, good. Oh goodness, I was really nervous, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad I won. I'll be sending you your PowerPoint certificate in a, in a couple of days via email. Okay? Oh, great. Okay. Great. All great. Good. Great. Thank you. <laughs> so, Rachel, for anybody that either wants to maybe see you and catch you on TV or in a movie, or just wants to follow you in your comedy career, how can they learn more about you and find you? One hundred percent. So I am in. Uh, I'm featured in Whitney Cummings' movie, The Female Brain. Um, it's on limited release right now, so uh, you can check that out and see if it's playing uh, near wherever you are listening. Uh, but you can also download it on iTunes. Um, and then for all things Rachel Force, for you know my videos, stand up character videos uh and if you're in los angeles for any shows uh you can check out rachellaforce.com uh rachellaforce.com and all my stuff is right there um and i'm actually going to be hopefully doing some shows in atlanta uh in may i'm going to be out there uh for my birthday so guys if you're into it check it out come see a show um and uh let's hang out afterwards and then i also have an instagram um that's at rachellaforce all right. And Rachel, now that you've told me that you're coming to Atlanta, that means I'm going to have to come see you do stand up now. <gasps> yes, please. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I would absolutely I would really, really love it. I really would. Yes, for sure. Uh, well, well, I will be in touch because okay, I, awesome. I will well, definitely make that happen. Yes. Well, Max, thank you so much. This was this was so wonderful. And thank you for letting me um babble on about uh the one thing that i love more than anything so. oh no rachel i appreciate you calling all the way in from los angeles you have no idea how much this means to me so thank you for being on the show i do appreciate it a ton yeah you got it thanks for having me and to anybody listening remember you can find us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also find us and like us at our Facebook page, which is at Talking Late Night. And you can also find us on iTunes, where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again to Rachel for being on the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ha, 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 ha.